amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Okay, people, listen up. Let's do this by the book. Again, I need a controlled investigation of every prequel, sequel, spinoff, offshoot, and reboot in a 30-year radius. We've got a fugitive. Sequel. This is Dick Miller. If you're listening to Junk Food Cinema, who are these guys? Search high and low, Junkions. You won't find a podcast quite like Junk Food Cinema, brought to you by FilmSchoolRejects.com. Dad Cam. Dot com. Dot. We're not crazy, but we are carriers. This is the weekly cult and exploitation film cast. So good, it just has to be fattening. I'm your host, Brian Salisbury, and I'm joined, as per usual, by my friend and co-host. He is a novelist. He is a screenwriter, a lieutenant of Megaforce. He is the ugliest, most inbred country son of a bitch out there, according to Sam Gerard, Mr. C. Robert Cargill. Hi. How's it going, man? It is going. Are your tray tables in the locked and upright position? And we are going down. I mean, I feel like that's a uh, like a safe word type question at a fetish club. Like it's a code for something. Pineapple. 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 Make sure the pineapples are in their full upside down and locked position. Take it out. Take it out. I said pineapple. (laughs) We have not even a minute into this episode and we are on our shit immediately on our shit. And speaking of being on our shit, you can find more episodes of Junk Food Cinema on your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us on social media, pretty much all the platforms. And if you really like the show, I mean, you really like the show. You like it as much as I definitely don't need to know what was up there before pineapple was said. You can go to patreon.com slash junkfoodcinema for as little as a dollar an episode. You are supporting the show. We greatly appreciate it. Please go to Patreon and support the show so that we can do more things like October Air, a.k.a. going down. This is the series that we're super excited about. We are talking about our favorite movies on planes. And uh, you know what, Cargill? To introduce today's movie, we covered Con Air as sort of our, our kickoff of this series. And today's movie is very important because it is piggybacking off an episode we did not too many weeks ago. And apparently was the impetus for you pitching this entire series. But uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to introduce this week's movie with a quote from one of the actors in the movie talking about his experience making the movie. Are you ready for this? Let's go. <clears throat> the quote is, it's possibly the worst action movie of all time, and that's just not good for the maintenance of a good spiritual condition. I'd rather wake up in jail for a TB test than have to wake up another morning knowing I'm going to be on the set of U.S. Marshals. 
still got one prisoner unaccounted for. Mark Roberts. A daring escape. A cross-country manhunt. No one had seen anything like it. I have. Search every house, hospital, hotel, back road, and backwater for Mr. Mark J. Roberts. For Sam Girard and his team of U.S. Marshals. You ever make a fugitive arrest before? Yeah, how about you? Nothing is what it seems. I gotta find out who the hell Mark Roberts really is. Ex-U.S. Marines, Special Forces, ex-CIA, Black Ops. All right, heads up. No one can be trusted. I got set up from the word go. This is a ruthless killer who committed murder in cold blood. Because this time, the fugitive they're chasing... Give me a hand. I'd like to listen to you explain why your ruthless assassin keeps going out of his way to let people live. ...is a government spy who knows too much. You're the great Sam Gerard. Yes, I am. And you always have to win. Yes, I do. Get out from there and face me! Catch! Gonna have to shoot me! Hold it! Can't be caught! Turn around! Come on. Still at large, he's armed, he's dangerous. What do you intend to do? Catch him. Not exactly a ringing endorsement from baby Robert Downey Jr. Oh, no. Well, this was also a really rough part of Robert Downey Jr.'s career. This this is this is in the era where he would do interviews where he's waving his Coke spoon around. Right. Um, right. Like in the interview. So yeah, this is this is the the self-loathing era of Robert Downey Jr. In fact, I think this is the uh this is the same period of time in which the Simpsons ran one of their best gags. In oh yes. Had- which the Simpsons are driving through Hollywood and they go, look, they're shooting a movie with Robert Downey Jr. And he's having to shoot out with the police. And then they go, where are the cameras? <laughs> I mean, this movie comes out in 1998 and from 96 to 2001 was his like merry-go-round with the Burbank police department. Do you know what I mean? He was in and out of lockup so many times getting kicked off of acclaimed TV shows. Like this was, as Cargill said, not a good time for Robert Downey Jr. So I fully expect that his, his mental state wasn't, you know, where it is now. And he probably wasn't saying the nicest of things. However, can I, can I speak for you? I know that for me, when someone says something to the effect of, I'd rather wake up in jail for a TB test than have to wake up another morning knowing I'm going to the set of U.S. Marshals. If you hadn't seen this movie, wouldn't that immediately make you want to watch it? I mean, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, okay. I know <laughs> I know, I know. know why he really said that. Like, I know where that really comes from. Um, I was talking about his, his the, the, the place he was in his life. Uh, but I also know stories about members of this cast and the egos on this cast and the alcoholism of a certain member of this cast would lead to a lot of problems, especially somebody who wants to get out early and go get stoned out of his mind. 
Um, yes, and, 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 and keeping to that, I won't keep you here, Cargo, but I will pre- I will tell you, <laughs> I will let the audience Excuse know. Excuse me, sir, I'm going to get blitzed out of my mind. Fair enough. I will let the audience know that Cargo literally told me, and you can you can rehash this for the for the kids at home. But basically, you learned something about the making of the fugitive that a made you lament the fact we hadn't mentioned it on our fugitive episode, and b was so fascinating to you. You were like, we need to talk about U.S. Marshals. Well, yeah. So uh, what ended up happening was, you know, I do as most middle aged men do, is I, uh, I I sit up late at night and drink whiskey and watch YouTube. Uh, YouTube is amazing. There's so much, so much of the best, uh, this doesn't get said enough. So much of the best criticism happening today has been happening on YouTube for the last four or five years. Like all the people who used to write these great essays and in-depth stuff on blogs. Well, they're doing it on YouTube where people can actually see it. And, uh, uh, I ran across a, a, a thing on the making of, uh, the fugitive and I'm like, Oh, we just covered the fugitive. I want to wonder what I didn't know. Holy God, what we didn't know. It was one of those like, oh, this would have been interesting to address in our entire episode on this deep dive. Apparently, um, they were flying without a script. They were just making a lot of it as they were going along. They were writing it as it went on. Um, They did not have a full script. They were working stuff out. But because of what was being written for the FBI agents was so, or the U.S. Marshals was so not good uh, and disliked by the cast they were all ad libbing. And so there's actually some side by side bits where you see how these actors have embodied their characters and are just bantering back and forth in a way that is structured in the script, but is not written anywhere near what they're actually saying. And it's a credit to the actors who um, really made um, those characters sing. And, um, you know, I had dismissed U.S. Marshals back when I uh, when I saw it, uh, when it initially came out, because, you know, there there was, you know, kind of fatigue with with Snipes a little bit. You know, he, he had made some movies that were all just kind of they felt samey. And this was like, oh, it's The Fugitive Part Two, but without the star of The Fugitive. OK, well, I like Tommy Lee Jones, but do I want to watch a movie where he's not the star? Um, and so that was something that, you know, uh, you know, really kind of had soured me on the film and I saw it and was like, ah, it's fine. Uh, but I wanted to revisit it after seeing that because I was like, do I want to spend more time with those characters with that team? And I was like, absolutely I do. (laughs) And I thought back to certain things like, you know, movies like proof of life where, you know, the, the movie itself is kind of like, ah, but what I really love is this relationship between these two actors. And we had talked about in that, that episode where it's like, I want to watch more movies with these characters. And so that's what I thought here. I'm like, I'm going to revisit this with the sole purpose of just spending time with these U S marshals and boy, howdy was I fucking entertained by it. And I had forgotten, you know, the airplane element of this movie. Uh, and when that kind of fell into place while I was watching it, it was like, oh, you know, me and Brian haven't covered this weird, never talked about subgenre of films of 90s hijacked or, you know, crazy plane movies where you have big, intense shootouts or action sequences on planes. And I started thinking about all of them. And as we've been going on with the series, realizing that there are even more than we remembered. <laughs> and finding more and more of these movies from this 
very specific era, like this very narrow window of time where these movies happen. Um, you know, the earliest one we're probably going to touch on is 90. Uh, but, uh, but really most of these movies come from like 94 to 98. Like it is just this period of time where people are like, yeah, what if we made that kind of movie, but set it on a plane and there's so many of them. And, uh, and I, I was just, you know, I was up, I was drinking whiskey and I picked up my phone and I texted, <laughs> texted Brian at four in the morning as you do. And as he said, I'm the one person he told me, I, I'm the one person that can text you at four in the morning. You don't get worried. Yeah. It's not going to be bad news. It's going to be something random. He was watching on night flight. Do you know what I mean? And, that, and that's yeah. fine. I could totally, is, I could totally live with that. That's exactly what it is. And, except this time I was watching old wrestling episodes, um, which, uh, it, which delights me even further. <laughs> yeah. Where I was like, Hey man, you know, I've never been on replay purview. <laughs> could I be on here? Like what the fuck? I remember my response to you was like, legally, if you're a pod person, you have to tell me when you asked me to be on my wrestling show. And then I was also like, also, I have an idea for a series. And <laughs> we're like, well, we're starting on Tuesday. Let's uh, go. Cargill must be between projects because he's doing a lot of programming for junk food cinema. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we that's how we got here. Uh, and so um, so I went into this movie very excited, specifically not who's the fugitive in this one, but let's follow the story of these U S marshals. And boy, was I rewarded because man, do you spend a lot of time? In fact, most of the time with these U S marshals and having that newfound appreciation for not only this troop as actors and having seen them grow and, and looking back and going, this is a really cool team of character actors altogether, but to actually see them, the focus in this one, and get to spend so much time with them and so much fun time with them while we're watching them try to solve a real mystery on their hands while they've got fucking Robert Downey Jr. in tow now uh, was really a, a really fascinating watch on its own. And then to be like, oh, I fucking love this movie now uh, was the real treat. So that's how we open up with this. Yeah, I want to say two things. One, it's funny to me, this revelation you've made about the number of airplane movies that exist in the 1990s, because as we have multiple times talked about the weird like confusion Hollywood has about the 90s and what people wanted and the sort of throwing everything against the wall, the, the metaphor I've always used is that there was this huge airplane hangar and in the 80s, it was just, you know, pilfered of all of its great ideas. And then by the time we get to the 90s, there's just random stuff in the far flung corners of this giant airplane hangar. And now your revelation makes me think that that was the most apt metaphor we could have possibly done. The other thing is, I don't know that one sentence illustrates the dichotomy of the hosts of this show in that you're you're like there's some great film criticism on youtube and i'm over here thinking yeah what i use youtube for is watching early 90s training videos for wendy's uh and like chuck e cheese and shit like that's where i live online so <laughs> i just keep thinking about like the wendy's song where the the girl basically like raps how to serve cold drinks like if the if the order's to go snap the lid on tight when you hear the pop you know you've done it right Like that's the kind of shit that I use YouTube for. So we we are very different in that regard. But I love that we are covering U.S. Marshals because for me, you know, I appreciate it differently now. But when it first came out, this was one of my 
like go to DVD watches. Like if it wasn't on cable, I had that Snapcase DVD and I was watching that shit all the time. I have seen this movie far more times than I've seen The Fugitive. And I think that's just a product of, you know, the fact that it came out when I was 14 and I, you know, I didn't know shit from Shinola. So I'm just watching US Marshals all the time thinking, "Oh, this is a cool action movie." And now as a grown-up and somebody who's obsessed with not only movies but specifically franchises, the idea of making a sequel to a movie based on a TV show called The Fugitive, and the sequel is not about The Fugitive, is so bizarre to me. Like, this would be like if they made a sequel to North by Northwest, and it was all about the CIA agents who were chasing Cary Grant. You'd be like, wait, I'm sorry, the fuck are we doing here? But as we all know... 1993, The Fugitive comes out, is a monster huge hit that makes Tommy Lee Jones in what? His late 40s, early 50s? Now now he's a fucking mid, marquee mid draw. 40s. Mid 40s. He's a marquee draw all of a sudden for the first time in his career. He wins an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. And suddenly, like, we are all in on the TLJ business, and I could not be happier about it. But the big thing that happens between The Fugitive and U.S. Marshals is a little movie called Men in Black. That takes Tommy Lee Jones even further as a box office draw. So, of course, they're going to greenlight a sequel to The Fugitive just to cash in on that sweet, sweet TLJ heat. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. Well, that's good, fellas. Give me a splay burn around the perimeter with holes at 40, 60, and 80 meters from right here. But it's crazy to me that they were like, but this time, the Fugitive kind of did it. Uh, so it's really more about just this this team that you know you may kind of remember from the first movie. And I'll, I'll be damned if they don't do a great job in this movie of further develop, developing them to the point that, yeah, you're happy to spend most of the movie just hanging out with them. You're happy to be in that weird U.S. Marshall bar at the beginning of the film. And even though, you know, this isn't an Andrew Davis joint like the first one was, we're still very much in Chicago. We're doing a lot of, you know, Chicago uh, in the opening. We're, we're even filming in Chicago and telling people it's New York. Like, this is very much trying to capture a lot of what was great about the first movie without Harrison Ford, which seems like a fool's errand, but I feel like they do pull it off. And I think a big part of that is that you have Stuart Baird directing this. Now, if you aren't familiar with Stuart Baird, he is, I think, one of Hollywood's greatest editors and one of the best film surgeons of all time. A guy that was so good at editing, they would bring him into rescue movies that were circling the drain. He's basically like the old priest that shows up at the end of The Exorcist to just fucking <laughs> fix stuff. And, and an old editor and a young editor. We need a Stuart Baird editor. Uh, and he, he definitely saved a movie that is near and dear to Cargill and I, and that, of course, is Tango. Gosh. I think he's even an uncredited director on that movie for how much he pulled that movie out of the fire. Uh, but, you know, he he's edited a shit ton of movies that we love. He's edited some really uh, some classic movies like The Omen and Superman and in the movies that we've covered like Outland and Demolition Man. Uh, he also did Showdown in Little Tokyo, Last Boy Scout, like Casino Royale, Skyfall. Like the biggest problem I had with Quantum of Solace is how badly it was edited and especially juxtaposed to Casino Royale, which is incredibly well edited. And again, that's who Stuart Barrett is. But he only had three directorial credits. 
We have, of course, U.S. Marshals. We also have Executive Decision, again, really playing into this whole Cargill theory about the 90s and plane movies. And then he also did Star Trek Nemesis. And it's interesting to note, Cargill, that all three of the movies he directed contain a scene in which a flying transport is depressurized. Yep. He may be the patron saint of this particular series. And I, I, I believe that he is deep <laughs> in my heart of hearts. I mean, first of all, he is somebody that we brought up a lot and we should, because he is at the core, you know, you forget, you know, a lot of times people talk about Hollywood types as, you know, being, you know, uh, money obsessed or fame obsessed. You forget that, especially when it comes to genre, people are fans. Mm-hmm. And Stuart Baird wasn't just brought onto these movies because he was good at what he did. He was clearly working on these movies because he liked genre and and worked throughout the genres, uh, you know, wor- you know, but very much in the action kind of thriller genre and uh, really did have his fingerprints all over so many influential things mm-hmm. um, and doesn't get that credit. And so I'm, I'm, I am, I am willing to give him sainthood and will him as the junk food patron saint of junky plane movies. Agreed. And he was also, as I said, the editor on demolition man. So that may be how he first crossed paths with Wesley Snipes, who serves as our pursued man, our wrongfully accused man. But again, And we're going to talk about this. One of the things I find so baffling about this movie is that you have a wrongfully accused man who's not exactly wrongfully accused. And whereas in the first movie, they went out of their way to establish Richard Kimball as this like good guy in a bad situation and give him several sort of save the cat moments. Wesley Snipes is just shooting at the cat the entire movie. And like, and somehow like, on paper, and this may be attributed to the fact, as you said, that they were shooting a lot of this movie without a script. On paper, this doesn't make any fucking sense. And asking the audience to really sympathize with him at certain points of this movie, you're like, yeah, I guess, but uh, okay, sure. But this is a movie basically where Tommy Lee Jones and his team, uh, Tommy Lee Jones is being asked to go on vacation after a little bit of a PR blunder. And I guess we need to talk about this PR blunder because it's the opening of the film. And it, uh, gives, yeah. it gives us something I didn't know that we needed in our lives, Cargill, and that is, of course, Tommy Lee Jones in a chicken suit. Oh, he, Tommy Lee Jones in a chicken suit arresting Ogre from Revenge yes. of the Nerds, whose life has gone to shit after college. Man, and I don't know what happened at that last kumite he was a part of, but uh, this dude is in hiding, and he's on the run. And, of course, as we all know, one of the duties of the, the U.S. Marshal Service is tracking down federal fugitives. And I know this because, you know, obviously I've been watching a lot of Justified recently. And our last movie also dealt with a prison transport plane and the U.S. Marshals, uh, you know, trying to to keep things wrangled up there. Uh, I will say that I don't believe U.S. Marshals had to operate without the support of the actual U.S. Marshal Service as Con Air did because apparently Con Air... Uh, the U.S. Marshals refuse to be involved in any way, shape, or form. I feel like if the movie's called U.S. Marshals, they're far more, and it stars Tommy Lee Jones' character from The Fugitive, they're going to be far more apt to help here. But yes, here we are with Ogre and the girlfriends. Can we talk about the girlfriends that get out of this car and the hair height on these girlfriends? My absolute God. It's like Miss Yvonne goes to Dallas. That's how tall we're talking about with the fucking hairdos here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this is 90s. You know, what are you going to do? 
I mean, it's the 90s, but it looks like a fucking 1960s step out of this. These are like giant beehives. These are these are choices being made by these girlfriends. And I, I, I almost got distracted from the fact that Tommy Lee Jones is in a chicken suit because I'm just looking at the height of these hairdos. <laughs> it's nuts. After these messages, we'll be right back. Drinks. Cold. Are you ready? Here we go. Soft drinks, lemonade, water, cold tea. It's up to you. It's up to me. Cold drinks come in four cups. Gotta know the size before you fill it up. Biggie, medium, small, kids meal. Keep it straight. It's a good deal. Use the scoop to fill with ice. Never use the cup. Take my advice. Cold drinks, that's all there is to it. Go ahead and try. I know you can do it. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But they go in, of course. Tommy Lee Jones is revealed to be in the chicken suit, which is such a great reveal as he's just walking with purpose. And you have that great, uh, the great. <laughs> Great Jerry Goldsmith score, like telling you things are about to get serious as a, a chicken is walking toward this house and pulls a gun. And then the head comes, he's kicking the feet. I mean, it is like in any other movie, this would have been played for pure laughs. But the Jerry Goldsmith score tells us, uh, 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 don't you dare laugh. This is all business. And I do love Cargill. Speaking of, uh, of what you were doing the other night when you texted me at 4 a.m., the fact that these brothers, these federal fugitive brothers, are definitely watching wrestling when the door gets kicked down. Oh, yeah. And I believe I hear the voice, the saintly voice of uh, uh, the American Dream, baby, Dusty Rhodes. So I'm pretty sure they're watching WCW wrestling circa 1997, which have been in sort of the back half of the existence of WCW, but right at the height of the Monday Night Wars between oh, yeah. Bischoff and Vince McMahon. So this is a very important time for wrestling, and I don't appreciate the U.S. Marshals interrupting. Uh, these brothers are just trying to get caught up on what Scott Hall and uh, and uh, and Hulk and Hollywood Hulk Hogan are up to. Well, yeah, I mean, but they didn't interrupt the NWO, so that's what matters, you know. Well, it's, nobody it's Wolf, interrupts Wolfpack the NWO. and NWO all the way. That's true. Don't turn your back on the Wolfpack. Even if a chicken man bursts through your door with a shotgun, I believe is the full song. 
that was the best part of WCW in those days was the fact that the heels were the heroes. Uh, and that that's what what kind of led to the attitude era going on over uh, in WWE at the time, where it was like all the best characters were the bad guys. Uh, the, the baby faces like Dusty Rhodes, they were the ones you were watching get their asses kicked. Well, but the thing is, like, it got to a point, and I'll use this movie as an analogy. Like, imagine if in the third U.S. Marshals movie, every single character in the movie is a U.S. Marshal. And you're like, well, then who the hell are we chasing? If everyone's a U.S. Marshal and there are no fugitives, we're not really doing much. That kind of became the problem with the NWO is that everybody was in the nwo and if your entire group is supposed to be anti-establishment you just become the establishment once everybody's in it i do believe we are deep in the throes of the sidebar right now sorry sorry i'm I'm sorry let me come off the ropes let me come off the top (laughs) rope get back to this movie uh so yes this is the opening this is where uh tommy lee jones hits ogre in the head because he bites Daniel Roebuck, and uh, he gets in a little bit of trouble. So it's like, okay, look, here's what you're going to do. You're going to transport this guy. Uh, he's going to be extradited back to wherever the, the federal state is that you know that, that's trying him. You're going to go on this prison plane. And also on the prison plane is a guy by the name of Mark Sheridan. And he is a tow truck driver in Chicago who got into a, a pretty spectacular accident uh, for the opening of this movie. And they find a gun under the dashboard and they're they're arresting him and then they're like telling they're they're questioning him about a murder in New York and it's like the murder that we kind of see in weird security cam footage as this movie's cold open. Um, so he's on the plane as well. And I guess this is where we get to talk about the big centerpiece. The thing that connects this, of course, to Con Air. We have another prison plane transport, but this one, this one goes down in spectacular flames. Oh yes. This is, this was, it's clear one of the things, one of the edicts they had making this movie was, all right, so we're making a sequel to The Fugitive, so it's got to be The Fugitive all over again. So it's got to hit these beats. Right. But how do we do something better than the bus crash, the bus slash train derailment in the first film? And somebody said, well, it's got to be a plane crash. Well, they were like, we've already had the trains and the automobiles, so what's missing here? Hmm. it's clearly the plane because it's the 90s and what are we doing folks we're doing planes and once again a great just like in the first movie the miniature work on this crash is fucking fantastic and then on top of that they have this uh this interior that they designed that's rigged up on a gimbal so it's moving around like a fucking star trek episode every time they're bumping and and crashing into things and then it ends up completely inverted in the water and they're really filling it up with water because it's really inverted like there is a lot of craft going into this set piece and i fucking love it it's a big stunt work set piece including a really fucked up moment in which they realize they've got to leave the prisoners there yeah um uh and that you know of course gerard as we know is not a bad dude. He's a hard ass, but he's not, he's not heartless. Right. And exactly. so he instantly jumps into action to try to save the lives of these criminals who were murderers and rapists and what have you, because they don't deserve to die horribly hanging upside down, drowning in the swamp. And, uh, and that's how our fugitive uses the cover of chaos to get the fuck away. Because Gerard is trying to save as many of these convicts as possible, but then it's like, you know, that we're, we're sinking. There's the last like four or five guys that he just can't quite get to, 
and you know he's got this this other this other convict that he's like pushing along and as we all know in the event of a water landing your fugitive maybe uses a flotation device so he's like pushing this guy up to the front of the plane wesley snipes is already fucked off we didn't mention the fact that the the reason for this crash is that it's kind of a passenger 57 moment like mm -hmm. there is a hidden gun on the plane and somebody tries to assassinate wesley snipes the plot clearly thickening here um but you know so it rips a hole in the fuselage and here we go we're depressurized we're crashing we're in the water my favorite gerard line you're right he's not a bad guy but some again i think a lot of the ad-libbing on this movie some of it works spectacularly well some of it's like okay that was a choice uh when he's pushing this guy along and he says and i and i'm i'm saying this verbatim he growls out get your head up there jack off and i'm just like huh i've never heard jack off as a noun before oh, you haven't no 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 it's a jerk off i've heard as a noun jag off i've heard as a noun but jack off specifically not as a verb not as something you're doing but as something you call someone that was a new one for me oh yeah no that was that was popular at the time <laughs> was a big i've called i have called many a people jack off this does <laughs> not this does not strike me as some you know on this is not lost for uh, this is not forbidden knowledge <laughs> You know what's weird though is of all the times it's been utilized, it well, the one time I would expect it would have come up would have been in the between the quarreling filmmakers on the commentary for the movie Jacko. Uh, that famously <laughs> you, you could go look that up, but I can't believe that in that in that argument neither calls the other Jack off. Come on, guys, missed opportunity. Shit pickle yeah. comes up, but not Jack off. Yeah, shit, but that's what gave us shit pickle. I wonder if there's a training that video. movie was a shit pickle. It was a shit pickle. And I'm wondering if there's a training video for Sonic employees on how to make their shit pickles. Now, who knows? We will we'll do some deep diving on the Internet and text each other at 4 a.m. about that. But this is where, you know, the, the in the ensuing chaos and the next day, you know, the, the they're dredging the river. They're taking the bodies away. They're trying to clean up the whole crash site. And we pull in on Sam Gerard's face. There's like, oh, the river must have gotten this this uh, this Sheridan guy. And we pull in on Tommy Lee Jones, and you're just waiting for it. Oh, you're waiting for it. And there it is, the close-up where he says, we got a fugitive. And he's almost giddy. There's almost like a little bit of restrained giddiness when he says, we got a fugitive. Because you know that Sam Gerard is about to go to fucking work. Yeah. And, you, you know, the thing is, is uh, let me just say this. My biggest complaint about this movie, <clears throat> and my only real complaint about this movie, is I think they really it was a missed opportunity i know they wanted to make a fugitive sequel um and they did so but by duplicating the innocent fugitive i kind of it makes me long for the movie they never made the third film in which gerard and the team are after someone who's absolutely fucking criminal and smart as fuck mm -hmm. and see them track down this criminal who's trying to escape and stop them um, uh, you, you know, just described the entirety of Justified. So I got good news for you, Cargill. That third movie exists and has about six seasons to watch. By the way, I'm huge fan of Justified. You're working your way through it now, aren't you? Yeah, I just finished the fourth season. <laughs> got me some Patton. Patton up uh, in this bitch. I mean, Patton is so good in that series, and that's not even the last time you'll see him. Yay, 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 yay. But yeah, that's like I've been looking up uh I actually because of that and because we've covered two movies in a row that feature characters that are US Marshals, I did a little bit more deep digging into the history of them and they've they've done some really interesting like they've been in charge of some really interesting things, some of which I think are 
gross and controversial and some of which are just so noble like one of the things that they did is uh, they were tasked with protecting uh, during the civil rights movements, they were uh, tasked with protecting African-American students when schools were just starting to be integrated. So there's yep. this great photo of like three or four U.S. Marshals escorting a six-year-old black girl on her way to school. It is so sweet. It makes you forget about the strike busting that they've done and having to enforce the Fugitive Slave Act. And like some of the some of the sh- like not the shadier nicer, history, the shadier history. But like when you see those photos, it's like, OK, that's pretty cool. And the fact that I never knew that they were put in place by George fucking Washington. Like, like there was basically U.S. Marshals before there was anything else, and that is that is pretty fucking incredible. After these messages, we'll be right back. Drinks cold. Are you ready? Here we go. The soft drinks fill the ice halfway. No matter the size, that's what I say. Tilt the cup and push against the lever. Keeps the foam down now, isn't that clever? If there's still foam, let it settle down. Don't pour it off, or your boss will frown. When you reach a quarter inch from the top, that's where you want to stop. Cold drinks, that's all there is to it. Go ahead and try, I know you can do it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So this is the point in the movie where we are introduced to a secret, uh, or a, what are they, the special services agent that is tagged on to this investigation, Baby RDJ himself. And as we mentioned, this is a this is a difficult period for Robert Downey Jr. Multiple arrests, uh, you know, uh, like, you know, he gave that speech at some award show about how Joel Silver saved his career multiple times. And when you when you hear the story, I mean, you can obviously look it up, but I mean, he was getting all this critical acclaim, and then you know, ninety six, he starts having problems. You know, he's arrested, and he's arrested again in ninety seven, and like ninety nine, and two thousand one. It's just like, but all of these things come as he's trying to do, like the U.S. Marshals thing, the you know, and then getting arrested again, and then you know, getting the Ally McBeal thing, and then getting thrown off of that because of getting arrested, and then literally. You know, the last time he, I believe the last time he went to jail was in like 2001. And then by 2008, he's Iron Man. So, I mean, he's he's like a model of like resilience when it comes to dealing with your demons. Like if you eventually conquer them, you you become Tony Stark. And he did he did have to claw his way back to get there. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he, he did some really risky movies. I remember the first time he showed up again. Um, was it the Shaggy Dog or was it... Uh, cats and cats versus dogs oh my god I mean, it's probably cats versus dogs because i think shaggy dog would have been after iron man maybe no. no no it was right before iron man you're right so it very much could have been check in a movie with tim allen so yeah i can i can <laughs> but yeah and 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 really but it was it was shane it was shane black who who brought him back and and mm-hmm. put him in front of everybody with uh uh with kiss kiss bang bang and in fact, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is the actual way he got hired onto that gig. Literally, John Favreau uh, had rented Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and was returning it into the mail at Marvel while they were casting for Iron Man. And he stopped and looked at it and looked over at Kevin, whose office was right next to that, and said, Robert Downey Jr.? Hmm. 
nah (laughs) but that thought wouldn't leave his head and he goes what if what if we did that and you know so shane is actually responsible for the uh the career rehabilitation and then of course you know robert did all the work and um you know and to this day is still sponsoring other people and helping them through uh their troubles so he really kind of came around the bend in all the best ways one of my favorite things about his recovery was his appearance in that elton john video for i want love but mm-hmm. which is you know very it feels like a very personal ballad because it's you know it, it feels like somebody who's struggling to find something within themselves but what i didn't know is apparently he filmed that video on a one-day pass from rehab in late july and it was the first thing that he had done since being fired from ally mcbeal in 2001. so it's like that's sort of the start of the comeback trail was that elton john video yeah yeah so we we get him obviously butting heads with sam gerard he's he's a he's a uh you know a suit and sam gerard is much more of a, a working class federal agent i guess but the two of them just don't seem to see eye to eye uh right down to the fact that sam gerard does not like his choice of weapon in what i can only describe as Chekhov's nickel plated sissy pistol uh this is where we're introduced to what apparently is going to be a very important plot detail that i will be honest i've seen this movie probably a dozen times and i still don't fully understand but that's okay (laughs) again the run and gun script on this starts to make a lot more sense when you try and unwrap some of these plot details uh but the 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 group is going after mark sheridan they chase him through the swamps we got a great swamp boat chase going on here during which time wesley snipes full-on shoots sam gerard and i guess this is one of those moments where i go I mean, even if you buy that he intentionally got him in the vest, so no hard feelings, which I don't particularly buy, and I know that Sam Gerard in The Fugitive wouldn't have bought that either, there's also a moment later where he shoots at Newman at the front door of the nursing home without aiming or knowing that he'd get out of the way. Like, this feels much more like I'm going to do anything I can to escape because I can't be taken alive than it is something like, oh, well, he's, he's, uh, he's an innocent man and he's just doing what he... You know what I mean? Like in the first movie, we knew Richard Kimball was innocent, but we also saw him doing all of these like kind things, and we never for a moment thought that he had that uh, that bone in his body to be a killer. This one, it's like, I, I mean, I guess we're just forgiving a lot of attempted murder in this movie. Yeah, yeah, no, we really are. Um, we're we're looking the other way a lot. This again plays into what I've talked about a lot. This comes from the era of um of cop exploitation or what uh uh people call copaganda yeah uh, in which we kind of look the other way because these guys we accept that they're well-intentioned so the collateral damage is unfortunate but necessary because the villains are far worse and we have to understand that and this is one of those movies that you definitely need to look the other way on the morality of this because there's a you know there's a, you know even right down to why gerard gets um gets uh 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 dinged if you will and sent on this this stupid mission to begin with is literally because his initial reaction when a perp is biting his guy is to butt him upside the head with a shotgun instead of you know pull him off or tase him Mm -hmm. uh as you'd think like why didn't you just use a taser bro like jesus christ it was a bite he didn't have a taser in the chicken suit that's why he didn't have a taser in the chicken suit but he did have a big old honking shotgun to bust him upside the head with and the thing is is when he does it 
you're with him. You're rooting for him. You're not like, you know, that's that's abusive. And so when he gets pulled aside uh, by his boss and told, uh, you know, is abusive, um, you're you're supposed to feel like he's being wronged. But if you kind of zoom out a little bit, you're kind of like, you know, Gerard, you really you really did uh, go a little over. You deserve to write up on that one at the very least. Like, yeah, he was assaulting your officer. Absolutely. But that was a little bit of a rough bump my friend isn't that a joe lansdale book no taser in the chicken suit i think i think it might be uh, if it's not i'm calling up joe and telling him to write one what's <laughs> the happen letter novel we're waiting for absolutely it is absolutely and and again i i don't know if we mentioned it, but we do have the whole team back the whole u.s marshal team from the first movie we got our yep. joey pence joey pence is back motherfucker Joey Pants is back. Daniel Roebuck is back. Tom Wood is back. Latanya Richardson is back. Uh, Tom Wood is a really interesting guy in that he only acted for 12 years. He was only in movies from 88 to 2000 and then just stopped, uh, but was in some cool stuff. Clearly a Chicago guy because he does a lot of work with like Daniel Stern and Andrew Davis. And, um, you know, it, it's pretty clear where his roots are. But uh, but yeah, just kind of kind of stopped acting after 2000. All of his roles were going to Clive Owen. <laughs> That's probably what it was. I mean, you're you're gonna look at the picture of him and go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> the dude came for the Clive Owen uh, uh, cloning project, but he's curly haired Clive Owen, which is weird because I always thought where he came from was the Judge Reinhold cloning program, and I thought so that was the, I thought he's, that was gonna be where he was pigeonholed, but then it was like poof, he's gone. He's he's gone. Yeah, no, he uh, he just he he noped out um and don't know why but again we we've got wesley snipes in this movie and you know we, we've got I mean, a real action heavy hitter by this point which again i think is such a strange choice because if you're gonna do a movie about somebody wrongfully accused like the the tactical efficiency that he has and the the uh tendency toward violence it just feels it feels different. It feels definitely like they were trying to make an action movie where the first one was more of a thriller. And I never really gave a lot of credence to those distinctions before. But I feel like if there's a, a pair of movies that really illustrates the difference, it is The Fugitive to U.S. Marshals. Yeah. And that's and that's what this is what got hung around this movie's neck and why it didn't have the same kind of um, uh, the same kind of. Uh, reception that the fugitive had and why we never got a third mm-hmm. um you know uh and which is what drives me to be like oh man it'll be really cool to see them fight you know like a re like a guilty motherfucker right. and uh um uh, and they never got a chance to do that which is sad or if the next one was like one of their own was wrongfully accused of something like sam gerard becomes the fugitive and the rest of his team has to like try and bring him in or something What's interesting, though, is that there is an echo from the first movie with this, and in, in specifically with Tom Wood, in which... Um, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Uh, the kid gets killed. Yes. And and that was something that was set up in the, in the Fugitive, and they have that big moment and that whole thing where he's like, I don't negotiate yeah you know and and you know there's that whole thing of you know the kid thinking that he's he was willing to sacrifice his life to take this guy down and then seeing how he actually reacts when he gets killed is is a a big emotional payoff and 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 
really the biggest bridge between the two films. Yeah. And and I this was the movie, and I think this was the part that always interested me as a as a youngster was the idea that, you know, Mark Sheridan was not some regular Joe. He was a what was called a kite for like the uh, national security division, where it's just somebody that they got to do their dirty work and then they could you know, say had no association with them, you know, just a really shit job, but somebody who obviously had all kinds of, of training to be a special ops. And so by this point in the movie, we learn that this double homicide in a parking garage was a an exchange that was supposed to flush out a mole within the Department of Defense, and it went south, but it was uh, a setup because Sheridan thought he was there to arrest the guy. You know, everybody starts shooting at him, and a couple of agents end up getting killed. So again, he's not innocent of killing the people. It's just the circumstances around which he killed these people that make it a setup and make him quote unquote innocent, whatever. But at this point, all we know is that there's somebody who is orchestrating this setup. And it's this moment right here where they're going through this nursing home looking for Sheridan, who has already escaped a, a a shootout in a cemetery where Data's dad from the Goonies is trying to murder everybody from the roof of this mausoleum. And uh, and so we've we've gotten past that. We run into this nursing home. The agent, you know, all of Sam Gerard's marshals and Robert Downey Jr. are converging on this spot. And Newman runs in. Newman, who has spent the entire this part of the sequence in the lobby being told like don't go up there just stay here wait for backup and he's doing that thing of like oh, i want to get up there and help but I'm, I'm supposed to stay down here and he makes the fateful decision that he's going to go in and try and help and to this movie's credit they really have done a good job making us like this crew making us like newman to the point that when he is murdered it does break your heart a little bit yeah yeah, no, it's it really is. Uh, uh, it's there is some really interesting emotional core here. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, it also instantly fills you with hate for Robert Downey Jr. because that's the big reveal, is that the the mastermind orchestrating the setup of Sheridan was in fact Robert Downey Jr. selling secrets to Korea, et cetera, et cetera, and you know now he's basically killed Newman. He's covering his tracks. And is trying to get to Sheridan and put a bullet in him before the rest of the team can get to him and, and this whole thing be exposed. And from this point on in the movie, we are just waiting for that moment of him to either get Sheridan cornered or put one in Gerard or Gerard's going to get the drop on him. And I will say this one more time. I do not understand the reveal. Like the way that Gerard puts this together doesn't make any sense to me and it never has. And I tried really hard on this viewing to understand because it all hinges upon the fact that apparently Sheridan took this nickel-plated sissy pistol from Robert Downey Jr. in the swamp. No, it's yours. You just filed off the serial number. It's the gun he took away from you in the swamp. It's the gun he shot me with and it's the one you've been carrying since that day. What do you want to bet the bullets we pulled out of my vest match the ones that killed him? And that it was that gun that was used to kill Newman. But somehow that proves that it was Robert Downey Jr. and not Wesley Snipes. I still don't understand this at all. Um, it's what we in the industry call bad writing. Uh, 
I was so prepared. I was it's so a diagnosable problem. I was so prepared for you to tell me I'm an idiot. Like, no, dude, here's what happened that you missed. But okay, I, I'm glad that we're on the same page here. That there should have been something more on the page here. It was, yeah, no, it was, it, it really, and really, what, what, uh, the impression that I was getting was this is all about Gerard's instincts because Gerard has an instinct about this guy from the beginning. He knows there's something wrong here. We as an audience are like, you can't trust this guy. And then it's like, oh, wait, we can trust him. Psych, we can't trust you. Um, <laughs> you know, and the the idea that because this is something about Gerard the whole time is Gerard is somebody who operates on instinct. Mm-hmm. And he always has been. He's very smart. He's very clever. He knows um, how to do things. But he, you know, he's always his instincts are always right. You know, um, you know, he started to get an instinct about Kimball and being like, I don't trust these cops. Why wouldn't he trust the cops? The cops are pretty sure. And they say it's open and shut. Uh, Something's not right here. And so this goes back to, I think what they were probably doing is trying to focus on Gerard's gut um, and his gut being right uh, to leading to, well, uh, of course he's going to have jumps in logic. Police have jumps in logic. It happens. And it's true. You know, um, you know, sometimes you just go, I think it's this guy. Why? Cause I think it's this guy. Well, what's your evidence? Uh, nickel plated sissy pistol, a uh, good enough for me. Uh, and, and I think they were, were leaning on that a little heavily and probably it was something again, very Stuart Baird related fixed in the edit. Like oh, yeah. there was something else there that just wasn't working. And so they're like, well, this will be enough for the audience because you know what? Having watched it twice, I'm like, I'm fine with it. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't take anything away from my enjoyment. And it never has. But I do think it's one of those things where, you know, The Fugitive is a movie we cover and people go, oh, that movie seems too good for your podcast. U.S. Marshals is a movie we cover and people are like, oh, that's the exact type of movie you guys should cover on your podcast. You know what I yeah, mean? And- like, and imagine if we had to cover this without having covered the fugitive. So consider <laughs> that the homework we did that led to this. <laughs> the fucking tweets we would get. How do you idiots do U.S. Marshals and you never did the fugitive? There is there is <clears throat> just no pleasing you, the audience. I understand. I will say that is exactly why we're here. Like, you know what? Um, uh, a six pack of uh, of Austin Beer Works, Black Thunder and a late night watching wrestling later. And uh, here we are. That is always how this podcast has operated. Make no mistake about it. By the way, I do want to say that there is a moment in this movie that I think is the between the two films, the best moment of Tommy Lee Jones acting that we get as Sam Gerard. Okay. And I know I know he won an Oscar for the for the fugitive, but I don't think there's anything in the fugitive as powerful as right after Newman dies. And this is another thing I learned about the U.S. Marshal Services. There's only one U.S. Marshal per, like, division, per region. Some states have multiples. Some states only have one. And then everyone who works for that marshal is a deputy U.S. Marshal. So Sam Gerard's actual boss, the, the, uh, the U.S. Marshal for that region, comes to him after Newman dies and was like, you know, you, you can't put this on yourself. I know what you're going through. And he is struggling to get words out. Like he's they, this moment gets interrupted by like oh we I think we've we got a lead on him and he just books it again because he's all business, but there is a moment where he is about to cry, mm-hmm. and he's fighting it and it's like he's fighting it in that like he knows that if he starts talking about it if he opens up to his boss about what he's feeling he's going to just start crying and he doesn't know what to do, and it's like that moment 
you don't get a lot from Tommy Lee Jones in general, but especially as Sam Gerard. I was really impressed with that moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and again, he he and the team are the reason to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, now, if you're a, a big Snipes fan, this is Snipes being fun and doing what Snipes does best. Deliver. Uh, punch or deliver taglines like well, yeah right. i mean well yeah but i mean that's exactly what you fucking want out of wesley snipes agreed like you know some motherfuckers just want to ice skate uphill oh. uh but you always got to bet on black so you know this is <laughs> this is what he does and and i and i and i love snipes and i love him here um and this is this is full tilt 90 snipes going mm-hmm. going going all at it but the reason they made this movie and the reason to watch this movie is the team and man they really do bring it and i feel like i feel like the struggle they had on the fugitive really kind of brought them together emotionally to be able to come back and do it again and feel so comfortable together uh one of my favorite scenes from this movie is one of the throwaway scenes that you don't fucking need at all and if they cut it you wouldn't notice it gone but it's them in the bar and they're like hey 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 we're on tv and then Gerard comes in, and for the first time in the whole series, he's this happy-go-lucky guy just buying around for his team and seems like the best boss in the world. And you know otherwise. And you know why everybody is, like, taking him up on it and is excited that not only has the boss shown up to drink, but the boss is buying. And after all the shit this guy puts them through at work, this is a moment of catharsis for everyone. Um, and it's just a great little moment. And it's exactly why you want to see this movie is to see this team be this team tracking down another impossible case that no one else can solve. Yeah. And I love the fact that he's so happy and he's in a suit because as soon as they see themselves on TV, he's at a big gala with the hot newscaster that was just talking about him on the news. (laughs) That weird little moment of like, wait, what what just happened here and also i love that the whole you know there's a subtle dig about him being a cliche and he's like whatever never a man who's like, afraid of the obvious i like that yeah yeah like it's like fuck yeah like <laughs> sam gerard is you know is a pimp like you know it's the, <laughs> he's you know he's got real game going on like of course yeah. a guy who's that confident in his job is the guy that picks up the newscaster at the fucking place where he just beat beat up ogre with a fucking shotgun like of course he is that's exactly who sam gerard is and i love that and i love it it's so very 90s where it's a throwaway thing because it's exactly the same thing we saw in the fugitive mm-hmm. you know where you know grizzled bearded harrison ford wanders in with this hot ass fucking wife uh sure enough uh wesley snipes has a fucking french actress for a for a yes. girlfriend like we're just like all the men have these dripping hot hotties just hanging uh on their arm and uh and and gerard is no exception tommy lee jones became such box office gold that uh irene jacob i know that it's pronounced irene jacob but i'm gonna say irene jacob because that's how it's spelled here uh she after the double life of veronique was just being thrown american movies oh we want you for this we want you for this she turns down pulp fiction because she wants to do u.s marshals like can we just oh and you know who they wanted you know who she was gonna play in pulp fiction oh absolutely she was gonna play the, the french character in pulp fiction yeah and it's like and like there's a list a mile long of things that she was offered and she turned down to be in u.s marshals like i need you to understand how big Tommy Lee Jones became in a short period of time 
that things like this are happening. I want to be in the Tommy Lee Jones movie. I want to be in this. And I feel like it's something to do with the deal that Tommy Lee Jones must have made with the devil as one of the skulls. This is my new theory, by the way, is that Tommy Lee Jones was definitely in the skulls. The Secret Society at Harvard University. He went to Harvard. He's Al Gore's roommate. And when he gets out of college, he decides he wants to be an actor. And the story, this is this is according to the Imdaba, this is a, a true thing you can go look up. The story of how he found an agent and a Broadway job so quickly after deciding to be an actor was actually written about in an issue of Ripley's Believe It or Not. So <laughs> this guy is like like getting everything thrown at him so quickly once he decides to become an actor that people are still can't figure it out. And to me, having gone to Harvard, he's Al Gore's roommate. He 100% was in the skulls. This is some kind of secret society deal behind the scenes that we don't know about. I mean, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, um, he he goes to college and he ends up with uh, Al Gore, whereas Craig Mazin, the guy who did Chernobyl and uh, Last of Us and the Hangover movies and Identity Thief and Rocket Man and Senseless, ends up with a roommate who's Ted Cruz. So clearly... <laughs> Clearly, there is the magical path here laid by the skulls and then the one laid by, you know, um, <laughs> making the wrong deal with the devil. And the, and the deal with the devil for uh, Al Gore was that he's going to be able to convince people he invented the Internet. So that's just, you know, it's it's great that they both got something out of that. I mean, right. You're going to the get tweets for that. That's, one. It's fine. Al Gore has a sense of humor. I can, too. Uh <laughs> But no, the fact that Tommy Weirdly, Lee Jones, Ted Cruz does not. No, it's weird, isn't it? It's crazy. Uh, and if he doesn't like my jokes, he can definitely go to Mexico. Uh, he could just fly off to uh, where did he fucking go? Cancun. Yeah, just fly off to Cancun, buddy. It's fine. You, you, you'll be all right. Uh, but Tommy Lee Jones was originally cast as Hobbs in Fast Five. Can you imagine how different that franchise would be? Like, it makes sense when you think about the character that Hobbs is. And again, it makes sense when you think about the fact that they spun off Hobbs. Much like they spun off Sam Gerard from The Fugitive, they spin off Hobbs from Fast Five and give him his own movie. This could have happened to Tommy Lee Jones twice. I mean, let's just let's let's also talk about the fact that they tried for years. They actually we talked about something and then people came to me privately we made jokes year years ago about bad boys needing to be fused with um uh with the fast, uh, uh, fast and the furious series and people reached out and said oh dude they literally tried to make that happen and egos got in the way that you don't was, say there was gonna be and so the idea that what if somebody went you know what we could do we could actually fuse fast and the furious with the uh with, bad with boys. the fugitive franchise oh, oh shit yeah and that that be yeah ha, his his name is Hobbs now but what if somebody was like what if we just call him Sam Gerard like, <laughs> what if what if we make it Sam Gerard you know uh and track track this down um that would have been interesting but you know uh, interesting as it would be and and fun to kick around i like the rock in that series so much yeah i agree with you but i also want to envision a world where it's Tommy Lee Jones saying i hope you brought your thunderwear like, do you know what I mean? Like that, that I just want to peek into that universe for a moment before we, we, we go back to this one. That is an alternate universe. I would like to watch. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and just a, just a quick uh, additional note here about the great Jerry Goldsmith, uh, who does the score for this movie and, and does another tremendous job. 
I, a couple of things I didn't know about him is that a lot of his music that he did for CBS when he was just like a working, uh, he was getting into the business as a composer, a lot of the music he, he wrote for CBS ended up tracked into the original series, The Fugitive. So it makes sense that he would be working on these movies. And another thing I didn't know is that he apparently wrote the Universal Pictures logo theme that's been used since 97. So that like da 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 Yeah, Jerry Goldsmith wrote that. I had no idea. Not shocking. It's absolutely incredible. As is the rope escape in this movie. I don't want to I don't want to shy away from another great action set piece. It is very cool and I respect the stuntman, but every time I watch it now all I can think about is the absolute human lasagna that Sheraton's hands would look like after that cuz he does that with no gloves and I'm like, yeah, your your hands would just fall off from the sheer amount of rope burn in that stunt, but it does look pretty damn cool. Yeah. This movie uh was I would say a success. It opened at number 2 at the box office behind Titanic. <laughs> in its 11th week that movie like uh they're gonna be yeah. books written about the success of titanic and the titanic success of titanic yeah no it's uh what a crazy crazy thing for anyone to have to go up against and imagine and keep in mind this is a movie that they released with the runaway success of the previous one they were expecting this to be uh, a huge monster hit and right. they were certainly expecting to knock titanic out of its place so imagine the meetings on monday morning after they after that and being like so what happened oh titanic somebody's got to unseat titanic it's got to happen it was supposed to be us <laughs> the u.s marshals always get their man unless that man is leonardo dicaprio on that damn boat uh we were so focused on the plane we didn't think about the boat cargill we just didn't. Didn't think about the boat. Okay, Michael. Regular or extra crispy. And that brings us to the junk food pairing. And I feel like for this movie, you need to get yourself a big bucket of Chico Rama, which is the name of the fried chicken, I guess, food truck that Tommy Lee Jones is pretending to work for in his chicken suit at the beginning of this movie. And as he tells Ogre, you can get it regular or extra crispy. I just feel like it's the perfect treat as you're watching this movie, like a big bucket of greasy Chico Rama chicken. Uh, yeah, or or whatever your local equivalent is. Yes, 1,000%. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that this is a, a part of October. I will say that the fact that we're talking about another movie with U.S. Marshals and a prison plane and another reference to, uh, to old Raylan Givens and the fact that Pulaski County, Kentucky is actually mentioned in this movie, we could have called this series Justifies. But you know what? We'll, we'll stick with October. Or Justified. Justified. Oh, my God. That's our spinoff podcast just about Justified. It's called Justified. Oh, this was a lot of fun. Cargill, please let people know where they can find you on the interwebs. Uh, you can find me on Blue Sky at crobertcargill.bluesky.social. Uh, you can find my latest uh, film on Shudder, uh, um, uh, VHS 85. You can find my latest book, uh, Haunted Reels, uh, wherever uh, books are sold. 
Awesome. You can find me online at Bry Guy Salisbury, at Junk Food Cinema, and at Replay Preview, the aforementioned wrestling podcast to do with my brother Blake and my friend Dan, covering all the WWF pay-per-views of the 21st century. And uh, get, hopefully have Cargill on as a guest soon, as well as maybe Ogre, fingers crossed. Uh, I know he's a big fan of wrestling from that era as well, so we will talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. And uh, Cargill, how does it feel to have finally done an episode on U.S. Marshals? Righteous. Very righteous. To serve cold tea, but the ice is different. Listen carefully. Instead of half full, fill it all the way up to the top of the cup. Add the tea, and if they ask for a lemon, put it here. Now that's a given. Cold drinks, that's all there is to it. Go ahead and try. I know you can do it.